Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. Now, uh, we're going to take a little break from our usual uh, uh, studies concerning the book of Revelation. I think we left off with studying the book of Revelation chapter 18. And so we're going to proceed to chapter 19 next time we have the BHP. But for today, we're going to go back and look at the feast, specifically the spring feast in preparation for our upcoming celebration that will open with, of course, the celebration and commemoration of the death of our King Yahushua, which is what which is what we call Yahushua's Supper, the Last Supper. We used to call it the Holy Supper. And so in preparation for that, we're going to look at Yahuwah's Spring Feast. So when we say feast, oftentimes what comes to mind is a big fiesta with lots of food and lots of fellowship and entertainment. In one sense, that is what the word feast means. However, in our purposes of our in the purposes of our study today, we're going to look at a specific meaning of the word feast. And when we say we're going to celebrate and observe Yahuwah's spring feast, we are talking about, of course, the Moed. Because when we look at the Hebrew word for feast, it is the Hebrew word for 150 Moed, which means appointed. In other words, the feast that we observe and celebrate refers to Yahuwah's appointed time. Now, when we think of appointed time, we think of careful planning. And so there's a plan and purpose for everything that Yahuwah does. What is happening in history has a purpose because behind the scenes, the one who is, of course, in charge of all things and according to his sovereign will things fall into place he has a time he has a purpose and who do you suppose the central figure of his plan and purposes are which follow the appointed times according to his schedule In the book of uh, john 1 verse 1 the logos existed in the very beginning the logos was with god the logos was divine we talked before about the logos who is the Logos? The fulfillment of the Logos, of course, is our king, Yahushua. The word Logos in Greek means a plan, a thought, or a purpose conceived in the mind of Yahuwah. So before Yahuwah created anything, he had in his mind our king, Yahushua HaMashiach. He is central in the unfolding of the history of mankind from beginning until its Climax, And so when our King Yahusha had in his mind, our King Yahusha, what was his intended purpose? Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And so when Yahuwah created all things, he had a purpose, right? What is that purpose? It's in the passage. What is the purpose of all creation? Bible says he created it for who? Yahusha. Created through him and for him. Why? Because Yahuwah knows that we human beings are going to falter and commit sin. And so Adam's sin, Eve's sin, 
Was that a surprise to our father, Yahuwah? Was he shocked when Adam and Eve committed sin? No. He knew all along about the fall of mankind. This is why he had a plan. His plan, of course, is Yahusha. He created man so that he, so that mankind can be brought into fellowship through Yahusha so that he can be redeemed and restored. This is why we call the history of man, the unfolding of the events of mankind from Genesis to Revelation. We call this redemptive history. <clears throat> and so when we look at the appointed times or the feast of Yahuwah, what does Apostle Paul call them? Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. <coughs> now, oftentimes when people refer after this passage, Colossians 2, 16 to 17, they use it to teach that Apostle Paul is forbidding the people of Elohim to observe the festivals because we are in the Christian era. How many here have heard pastors and teachers who refer to Colossians 2, <clears throat> 16 to 17 and make the conclusion that because of this passage, we are no longer required to observe the feast. I think many of us have heard this argument before, right? However, when we actually look at what Apostle Paul is saying, he's not forbidding the people of Elohim to stop observing the feast. In fact, he calls the feast a shadow. When he said it is a shadow, he was referring to the types and shadows that are found in the Old Testament. Because when we read the Old Testament, we know there are patterns. These patterns are of the form of types and shadows. And so there are events, there are people that take place in history, but they also point forward to something more complete. To, they all point forward, in essence, to the logos, the plan, which is, of course, our king, Yahusha. So when we look at the festivals, and Apostle Paul calls them a shadow of things to come, he's not telling us, hey, do not observe the feast <coughs> anymore. Apostle Paul did not teach to cease observing the festivals because they are shadows pointing to Christ. Instead, the festivals must be continued to be observed precisely because they find fulfillment in Christ. The feasts are milestones in the unfolding of redemptive history. So the festivals serve as a memorial and at the same time a rehearsal to honor Yahuwah and Yahusha. And throughout our study today, we're going to see the interplay between being a memorial and a rehearsal when it comes to the feasts of our father, Yahuwah. In Leviticus 23, 4 to 8, this is where the command concerning the feast comes from. These are Yahuwah's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. Yahuwah's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, Yahuwah's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. 
and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to Yahuwah by fire, and on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And so what we have are the appointed feasts or Moedim of our father, Yahuwah. And so for our spring festival, it begins with Passover, <coughs> continues with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is how many days? Seven days. And it concludes with the Feast of First Fruits. And what we will look at is how these appointed feasts, the Passover, the unleavened bread, and the Feast of First Fruits all point to the unfolding of redemptive history. You see, it's a pattern. There's something happening with each of these Moedims, each of these, uh, the, the timeline or schedule of the Father concerning the history of restoration. And we know the Moedim is to be followed by our king, Yahusha, because he's the central figure of the plan and purpose of Yahuwah. He is the Logos. He is the hero, the savior, the Messiah. And so he is the main figure when it comes to the unfolding drama of redemptive history. And because of this, we know Yahusha will not break. Instead, he will fulfill the Moedim or the appointed time. So in our study today, we're not going to study the entire seven Moedim. We're going to focus on the Abib or the spring Moedim or appointed times. I think you already know the Abib or spring Moedim or appointed times. The, the spring feast, as we call it, consists of three feasts, right? What are they again? If you still remember, number one, the Passover. Number two, the feast of unleavened bread, and number three, the Feast of First Fruits. So let's go ahead and take a look at the Passover celebration. What is it about, and why is it a memorial and a rehearsal at the same time? Let's read Leviticus 23 in the verses 5. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is Yahuwah's Passover. So when are we to observe uh, the Passover, it is to be observed on the 14th day of the first month. But well, when is the first month? It's not January. The first month is the month of Abib. And this is also the first, uh, the first month corresponds to, because it's Abib, which means basically ripe barley, it corresponds to the spring season or the spring time. So around the month of April is when we usually have the 14th day of the first month. Now we've discussed before about the calendar and we had a BHP concerning Yahuwah's calendar. So please refer to that when it comes well, so that we can determine when are we gonna celebrate the 14th day of the first month. So the 14th day of the first month is Yahuwah's Passover. And so what is to be done uh, on the 14th day of the first month? Exodus 26, uh, 12 rather, 6 to 7. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Want to pause there for a while. Bible says you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. What is the Bible referring to there when it says you shall keep it? 
what did the people of Yasharal have, which they selected for themselves on the 10th of the month, the 10th of the month. You still remember? You shall keep it. You shall keep the lamb. So on the 10th, you're going to select the lamb. The lamb has to be perfect, right? And so you're going to keep the lamb until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Yasharaf, what will they do? Shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two dark posts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat, where they eat it. And so what did they do? What was instructed on the 14th day of the first month as they celebrate Passover? They were supposed to kill the lamb. And what were they supposed to do with the blood of the lamb? They're supposed to take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And so this was part of the ceremony of the Passover celebration on the 14th day of the month. Now, why was this instruction given? Let's read what it says in 12 to 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahuwah. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so why was Moses instructed to tell the people of Yasharal they're supposed to smear the blood of the lamb that was slaughtered on the 14th of Abib and put it on the doorposts and on the lintels of the houses? That's because it's going to be a sign when the plague of death is to come over Egypt that this plague of death is going to pass over any house that has the blood on the doorposts and on the lintels. This is why we call it pass over, because the plague will pass over the houses that was covered by the blood of the lamb. Do you see where this is kind of pointing to? Of course, the, the uh, early people of Yasharal perhaps did not know yet completely what the purpose of all this was. Yes, Yahuwah had a purpose for everything, but if you were to talk to an Israelite during that time, he probably would not know it was pointing to who? Yahushua. We know because it's already been fulfilled, right? But they did not know. And so when they were performing this, they were really kind of proclaiming by faith, rehearsing by faith, the fulfillment of our King Yahushua's sacrifice. However, it wasn't just a rehearsal. It was also a memorial. Why? Take a look at Exodus 12, 26 to 27. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of Yahuwah who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and... Worship. And so according to uh, the book of Exodus, what was the reason for the celebration? One of the reasons, because there's many reasons, 
what was one of the reasons for why Yahuwah instructed the people of Yasharal that every Abib on the 14th of Abib, they were supposed to slaughter a, a lamb and take the blood on the doorpost so that the children, when they ask about the service, they can be reminded of what Yahuwah did for the people of Yasharal. In that sense, what is it? A rehearsal or a memorial? It is a memorial. They were memorializing what Yahuwah did for them on that night when the plague of death swooped in Egypt and killed all the firstborns, except for those who were in the houses covered by the blood of the land. So it was, it was a memorial. It was an opportunity for the people of Elohim to transmit, to pass their faith from one generation to the other. So this was done on the 14th of Abib. This is Passover. And so if they were to ask you, why were the Israelites commanded to observe the Passover on the 14th of Abib? Basically to memorialize their faith, right? To memorialize the great event that happened when Yahuwah spared or delivered the people of Yasharal from the plague of death. However, as we often find in the, fe in the feast of Yahuwah, it's not only to memorialize um, what has happened, but also to rehearse their faith. Because like what we said, the killing of the lamb, it pointed to the future. And when the people of Yasharal would slaughter a lamb on the 14th of Abib, it pointed to a future event regarding what Yahushua HaMashiach will do. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, the Mashiach, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so according to Apostle Paul, who would become the Passover lamb? It would be Yahushua. And so before Yahushua came, when the people of Elohim would celebrate the Passover, it was to rehearse their faith concerning the promise of the true Passover lamb, who is Yahushua. And so it was a rehearsal of faith pointing forward to what Yahushua would do when he would become the sacrifice. And so after this happened, then Apostle Paul say, okay, the rehearsal is no longer needed. Yahushua has been sacrificed as a Passover lamb. We can stop keeping the feast. Is that what Apostle Paul said? Apostle Paul says, therefore, let us keep the festival. Because when we keep the festival, we transmit or pass the faith along to our next generation. In this way, we memorialize what our King Yahushua did as the Passover lamb. Apostle Peter also said the same thing, that, but that, that with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So according to Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter, Yahushua became the Passover lamb whose blood was shed. And what was the purpose of his shed blood? It is to take away our sins. 
And when our sins are taken away by the shed blood of the Passover lamb, who is our king, Yahusha, what will pass over us? Let's read the book of Romans 5, 8 to 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so because of the shed blood of the Passover lamb or King Yahushua, what happens to us? Bible says we have been justified. That is a word that I think we need to look into. How many here know what the word justified means? What does that mean? Justified. I think we need to ask someone who studies in college. Anyone here a college student? What does justified mean? It, makes, it basically means one who is made right in right standing before Yahuwah. Because if we are sinners and our sins are not covered or forgiven, then we're not yet justified, right? And so the penalty of sin, uh, we still have to pay. There's condemnation called the penalty of sin that we have to pay if we are not justified. But because of the blood of Yahushua, we have been justified. What does that mean? It means the wrath of Yahuwah will pass over those who have been redeemed by the blood. Do you see the same pattern there? Just as the plague of death passed over the Israelites who were inside the house covered by the blood of the Lamb, today, when the wrath of Elohim shall be poured out upon the earth, those who were covered by the shed blood of our King Yahushua, the wrath of Elohim will pass over them. This is why when we celebrate the Passover this coming Tuesday, we're going to do so in relation to Yahushua HaMashiach, who became our Passover lamb. And so what will we do to celebrate that, to commemorate that? Matthew 26, 26 to 28. And as they were eating, Yahushua took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so when our King Yahushua was about to die, when he was going to be sacrificed as the Passover lamb, he established what we call his supper, the new covenant. And this is what we're going to do on Tuesday. We're going to take bread and eat it. We're going to take a cup and drink from it wine that represents the blood of our King Yahushua so that we can remember our King Yahushua. And so Yahushua's supper basically is a memorial, right? We're memorializing what our King Yahushua did when he sacrificed himself to die on the cross so that by his shed blood, the wrath of Allah shall pass over us because we have been justified by his blood. So that's Yahushua's Supper. We're memorializing our faith. So that's the Passover. Now let's take a look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What is this feast all about? Let's go, <clears throat> let's go back to Leviticus 23, 6 to 8. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Yahuwah. 
seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to Yahuwah for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And so how was the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrated? It was celebrated after the Passover. And so it consists of seven days. You have a first day and a seventh day. On the first and seventh day, it is to be regarded as, as a Sabbath. It's not really the Sabbath, but it's like a Sabbath because we are not to do any work because our focus is to have a convocation. But what is a convocation, by the way? It is an assembly. It's when we meet together for worship. This is why we're going to have a convocation or a special worship service on the first day and on the seventh day of unleavened bread. This is from the 15th to the 21st. And throughout this duration, we are not to eat leaven. Bible says if we're going to eat bread, we have to eat unleavened bread. Now, what? Is, why? What is the purpose of eating unleavened bread for seven days? Well, what does leaven represent? What does leaven represent? Maybe we can ask some of our brothers and sisters who are here with us today. What is what is represented by leaven? I think Sister Jenna has the answer. What is it? Yes, correct. Sin. Let's take a look at Corinthians 5.7 uh, to make sure she got it right. Let's read. Remove the old yeast of sin so that you may be a new batch of dough since you don't actually have the uh, since you don't actually have the yeast of sin, uh, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so according to Apostle Paul, yeast represents sin. We'll talk more about that when we actually go to our celebration for the unleavened bread. But what we know is yeast is what makes the bread rise. This is why when you eat bread that doesn't have yeast, it's flat. It's not puffy, right? It's flat, but it still tastes good, right? Uh, it just doesn't have yeast, which is the agent that causes it to be puffed up and to rise. Now, why are we called upon to eat unleavened bread? It's basically to remind us that we need to remove sin from our life. Because on the 14th of Abib, what did our King Yahushua do? He died for our Sins. Does it mean that after he died for our sins, we now have a license to commit sin? No. We still have the responsibility to remove sin from our life. That's the whole point of the celebration. It's about the removal of sin so that restoration can take place. I want you to keep that in mind. This whole spring festival is a process. It begins with Yahushua's sacrifice, but we now have to do our part. Yahushua did the hard part, don't you think? We now have to do our part, which is to remove sin from our life. We want to remove the influence of sin from our life. Now, the unleavened bread celebration also pointed to our King Yahushua. Why? In the book of John 6.35, and Yahushua said to them, I am the bread of life. We know our King Yahushua refers to himself as the living bread. What is bread? made of. It is made of grain. It is made of wheat. 
And so when our King Yahusha was speaking about himself, what did he say must happen so that our King Yahusha, the living bread, can be useful for us so that we can benefit from him? John chapter 12, 23, 24. But Yahusha answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So according to our King Yahushua, uh, he needs to die and be buried just like a grain that must go into the ground and be buried so that they can produce new grain. It's like uh, the parable of the seed. For the seed to produce a plant, you need to bury the seed. Yahushua is the bread of life. And so Yahushua is telling us for him to be the living bread, he needs to first die and be buried. And so the unleavened bread festival points to the burial of our king, Yahushua. Yes, he dies on the 14th, but he also needs to be buried. And when was our king Yahushua buried? Let's read the book of Luke 23, 50 to 56. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, which Joseph was this? Was it Joseph, the son of Isaac, or the son of uh, Jacob? <laughs> no, this is a different story. This is uh, during the Christian times. A council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of... Yahusha. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath uh, drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so when was our King Yahushua buried? He was buried right before the Sabbath or during the Sabbath. I believe it happened right on the uh, Sabbath was uh, when he was buried. And when we look at the history of this event, we know that our King Yahushua, uh, when he died on the 14th, immediately, because when he died it was around three o'clock in the afternoon. And so before the sun set, so that before the Sabbath comes, and we're, when we're talking about the Sabbath here, we're talking about the high Sabbath, right? We're not talking about the Sabbath, but the high Sabbath, because it's the 15th, the first day of the unleavened bread. Remember, the first day of the unleavened bread and the seventh day of the unleavened bread are both considered Sabbath. So he dies on the 14th. On the 15th, a high Sabbath is when he was buried. And 
according to the Holy Scriptures, uh, which is what I said, the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that day was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so, because they were Jews, they did not want that Yahusha hung on the cross before the day ends. And so, before sunset, they had to be he had to be brought down and already buried. So according to history, according to the Bible, Yahushua was buried at the start of the 15th of Abib, the first day of unleavened bread. Again, Yahushua was killed on the 14th, around 3 p.m., and he was buried on the 15th. And so, so far, our King Yahushua has fulfilled Moedim. But there's also a symbolic meaning for the celebration of the unleavened bread. You notice that unlike the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated over how many days? How many days? Unleavened bread? Seven days, right? Why? What was the purpose? Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 16, 3 to 4. You shall eat no leavened bread with it, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor, any, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first, day, uh, the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. And so... We see here when the instruction about unleavened bread was given, they were instructed they were not to eat leavened bread for seven days. And when this instruction was given, the Bible says that you may remember. Now, when you think of the word remember, what is that? Memorial, right? And so it's also a memorial about what? a memorial about how they came out of the land of Egypt. And so they're supposed to memorialize that all the days of their life. And so what they were instructed to do is to understand that they need to eat the bread of affliction. What does that mean? It means they have to sacrifice, right? Because when you eat bread, you kind of like it with leaven because... It tastes better, right? It's not flat. But when it comes to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were instructed, do not eat leaven. So they have to sacrifice for the seven days. And when you look at the symbols in the memorial that is established in Deuteronomy 16, it mentions Egypt, it mentions leaven, and seven days. And so when you look at these symbols, Egypt represents slavery, leaven represents sin. Seven days, well, that's a process. It wasn't instantaneous. It's a process. And so what this is telling us is during the celebration of the unleavened bread, we are to practice and rehearse the process of overcoming the influence of sin in our life. Because the Bible says sin enslaves a person. When Yahushua paid for our sins, the influence of sin, however, is still in our body because our bodies have not yet been redeemed. So the seven-day observance represents the process 
of spiritual growth. And so we have, a, we have Yahusha dying for our sins. Now we have to go through spiritual growth because the death of our Lord Yahusha Christ does not give us the license to commit sin, but it gives us the opportunity to grow in our faith. And to grow in our faith means less and less influence of sin in our life. This is why we can see if a person is maturing in faith, there's less and less influence that sin has in his or her life. And the reason why we mention this is because like what we said, Yahusha did not eliminate. I mean, he did not eliminate the influence of sin. What he eliminated was the penalty or the curse or condemnation of sin at the cross. And so we're going to be saying, however, the influences of sin is still in our body. Yes, we have been justified by his blood. In other words, the penalty of sin has been removed. But because we still have our flesh, our bodies, the Bible says in Romans 8.21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation grows and labors with birth pangs together until now. And so the influence of sin, it still ravages the body. This is why we get sick. This is why we are not perfect. I mean, if a person will claim today that he's perfectly without sin, well, he is sinning by saying that because we are still stuck in this body. The process of restoration is not yet complete. We have been redeemed, but we still need to be restored. In the middle of that restoration is doing our part to overcome sin by living in the spirit, which is what Revelation 8, 1 to 4 is all about. Apostle Paul tells us we have been redeemed. We belong to Christ. There's no more condemnation. However, we need to live in the spirit. And in the process of living in the spirit, we remove the, the influence of sin in our life. So Passover, it represents the finished work that completely pays for the penalty of our sin. Unleavened bread, well, that represents the ongoing work of overcoming the influence of sin in our life. So we have the Passover, we have the unleavened bread. Now let's look at the Feast of First Fruits, the last part of the spring feasts, Feast of First Fruits. And so when is the Feast of First Fruits observed? Let's go back to Leviticus 23, 10 to 11, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheep of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before Yahuwah to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And so when is the Feast of First Fruits celebrated? After the Sabbath. Now, when we look at after the Sabbath, there are some who bring up the possibility that it could be referring to the high Sabbath, right? Because which 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 uh, Sabbath are we referring to here? Is it the high Sabbath or the Saturday Sabbath? What do you think? <laughs> because it just says on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wait it. Well, when you go to the Blue Letter Bible, 
right? The word Sabbath, if you can see there, can you see it, right? There is uh, the word Sabbath when used in that scripture <coughs> has a definite article, the. When it has a definite article, which is what is circled here, when you have a definite article, what does that mean? It's referring to the Sabbath, not a high Sabbath, but the Sabbath, which is what? It's what we call the Saturday. And so that's when the, the sheaf is waved, the sheaf, uh, the first fruits is waved. So when during, you know, during these historical accounts of Josephus, according to his <laughs> uh, history books, history at the time showed that it was waved about the same time as the daily morning sacrifice, that is about 9 a.m. on Sunday. And so we're going to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits on a Sunday. Now, for the purposes of our celebration, because many of those who will be celebrating will have, because we're going to be celebrating on, the, on Saturday, right? Saturday at 8 p.m. on April the 8th. But on, in the Philippines, it will be already Sunday morning. And so uh, it was a, a better time for us to kind of celebrate it uh, together. So the reaping and waving of the sheep symbolized Israel giving the first and best of the harvest to God and its subsequent acceptance by him. It is exactly the symbolism that Yahushua fulfilled as the weekly Sabbath was ending exactly 72 hours from his death. God resurrected him from the dead. Yahushua presented himself, reaped or risen as the first and best of Yahuwah's spiritual harvest on the day after the Sabbath, which is on Sunday. So remember, Yahushua died on the 14th, right? And then he was buried on the 15th of the high Sabbath. But then he is resurrected right at the end of Sabbath, the regular Sabbath. And the following Sunday, he appears to the people. He appears to Mary. He appears to his disciples. In that sense, he presented himself as the first root. And so this is how the timeline looks like. 14th of Abib, Passover. 15th and 21st is the unleavened bread. The first Sunday after Passover is first roots. And when we look at what our King Yahusha has done, he follows the timeline of the Moedim, right? And so he didn't just, he didn't die on just any day. He died on the 14th. He wasn't buried just on any day. He was buried on the 15th. He wasn't resurrected and, and appeared resurrected just on any day. He did so according to the Moedim. And so we know Yahusha Christ is the first fruit. And so when we celebrate the Moedim, we memorialize the death of Yahusha. We remember the burial of Yahusha. We remember and memorialize the, the uh, resurrection of our king. Yahusha, when you look at that, right, the 14th, the 15th, and then the Passover, the first fruits, uh, what we have is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. What do you call that, by the way? The death, the burial, resurrection. What do we call that? 
It's called the gospel, right? And throughout scripture, the gospel is presented in this fashion, death, burial, and resurrection. Even our baptism follows the pattern of the gospel. When we are baptized, what happens to us? We, we, we basically uh, put to death our old self we, by being buried with our King Yahusha as we are immersed into the water, and then we rise as a new person. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 down to 5. It's also like the gospel message. And so we memorialize what Yahusha did. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. However, at the same time, it's also a rehearsal. Why? Corinthians 15, 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. So when the Bible says our King Yahushua Christ is the first fruit, it means there are others who are going to follow. Yahushua is the best, the best resurrection. But there are those who will be resurrected also, just like Yahushua. When? At his coming. And so that hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen when? In the future. And so in a way, when we celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, we're also rehearsing for what day? The day of the return of our king, Yahusha. Because when he returns, what shall become, what shall become of us? Let's read, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And so even though because of our relation with Adam, we're going to die, because of our union with our King Yahushua, when we were baptized into him, which is an illustration of the gospel message, we will live again. When? At his coming. And so if Christ is the first fruits, we will follow after our king in his resurrection. This is why we rehearse the feast of first fruits in anticipation of that day when we will be resurrected. And when we are resurrected, what kind of bodies are we going to have? 51 to 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so what will happen when our bodies are resurrected? Bible says our bodies will become incorruptible because we're going to have a glorious body. And when we have this glorious body, what would happen to sin and the effects of sin? Romans 8, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
and we believers also grow, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait and with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And so Yahusha, when he died on Abib, what did he do? He paid for our sins, and so we no longer have to pay the penalty of sin. Peace of unleavened bread represents the ongoing work of overcoming the influence of sin. But first fruits, that points to the complete restoration from sin through a new glorious body. This is why it begins with Yahushua's sacrifice. It continues with the work of the Spirit in our life to remove the influence of sin. And it concludes with the complete restoration of our bodies into what kind of body? A glorious body. And so in the first three feasts, which we call the spring feasts, we find the removal of sin so that we can be fully restored in a glorious body. Redemption, restoration. And so the two kind of go together. And so when we think of Yahuwah's plan of redemption and restoration through our King Yahusha HaMashiach, we need to look and remember that these shadows point to our King Yahusha. And for this reason, we need to memorialize our faith. And so when we look at the appointed times, Passover, Yahusha died, Peace of Unleavened Bread, Yahushua was buried. Peace of First Fruits, Yahushua appeared, resurrected. That represents redemption. And when we look at the other Moedims, right, we have the Peace of Pentecost. Uh, when Yahushua sent the Spirit, then the Day of Trumpets, Yahushua returns for the assembly. And then the Day of Atonement, Yahushua comes to judge. And then Yahushua establishes his kingdom. That basically represents restoration, right? And so... When we look at the central figure of the plan of Yahuwah's redemption and restoration, we have Yahusha, who is the Logos. And so all the events and all of the celebrations and observance of the feast before the first advent of our King Yahusha, all of that basically is what? Rehearsal, right? For the most part, but like what we showed you, there's rehearsal, there's also memorial. And after Yahusha came, and died on the cross and ascended to heaven, everything that we do is basically to memorialize what our King Yahusha has done. So when we go back to the Moedim, the appointed times, uh, we can basically say from our time, in our time today, because Yahusha has already died, he has already was buried, he already appeared resurrected, right? And so because all that has already happened, in a sense, when we celebrate the spring feast, we are doing so as a memorial, a memorial. However, it doesn't mean it's just a memorial. Why? Because when we look at the feasts of Yahuwah and holy convocation, the word convocation also means a rehearsal. And so is it possible that the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits, Moedim, that we regard as a memorial because Yahusha has already fulfilled all of these events, right? 
And so when we celebrate the Moedim through the central figure, Yahushua, yes, it's a memorial, but is it possible it's also a rehearsal? I think so. Because when you look at Passover and first fruits, I mean, first fruits, it's also pointing forward to the day when our King Yahushua returns, right? Because when Yahushua returns, what will happen to our bodies? It will be resurrected. So first fruits is a memorial. We remember the resurrection of Yahushua. But at the same time, we also are rehearsing our faith because it points forward to the day when Yahushua will return and we will be transformed. Passover, if you still remember Matthew 26, 26 to 29, and as they were eating, Yahushua took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so Yahushua is telling us, you need to do this as a memorial to remember me. But at the same time, look at verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so when will that be? In the future. That part hasn't been fulfilled. And so when we think of the Passover, it's not only a memorial remembering what Yahushua did for us. It's also a rehearsal. Because Yahushua says he's going to drink it anew with us in his father's kingdom. What is that referring to? The millennial kingdom. And so when we look at Passover, first fruits, it's a memorial for Yahushua, yes, but it's also a rehearsal for what will happen in the future with our king, Yahushua. Passover points to the millennial kingdom. And the first fruits points to the return of our king, Yahushua. And so now let's take a look at unleavened bread, the ongoing work of overcoming the influence of sin. So the feast of unleavened bread, which is a memorial of Yahushua's burial, right? Is it also somehow a rehearsal of a future event relating to or regarding our king, Yahushua? I think so. Why? Well, let's read what was one of the purposes of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Exodus 13, 6 down to 10. For seven days, the bread you eat must be without yeast. And on the seventh day, celebrate a feast to Yahuwah. And on verse 8, okay, go to verse 8. On the seventh day, you must explain to your children, I am celebrating what Yahuwah did for me. When I left Egypt, this annual festival will be a visible sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead. Let it remind you always to recite this teaching of Yahuwah with a strong hand. Yahuwah rescued you from Egypt. So observe the decree of this festival at the appointed time each year. And so, again, Yahuwah's telling us the reason why it was so important for the people of Elohim, the, the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, why they were to observe the seven days of unleavened bread, right? What was its purpose? It's so that they will remember how Yahuwah 
with a strong hand rescued them from Egypt. Why did it require the strong hand of Yahuwah to rescue Israel from Egypt? Because Pharaoh was stubborn. He was stubborn. When Moses went to him and said, my God, Yahuwah tells us to let us go so that we can worship him. And Pharaoh said, no way. And so what did Yahuwah have to do with his strong hand? What did he have to do? If you still remember. Yeah, the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so with the 10 plagues of Egypt, all the way to the death of the firstborn, the 10th plague, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and then the destruction of the Egyptian army, the destruction of Pharaoh. After all of that was done, when Yahuwah delivered the people of Yasharaf with his mighty hand, remember what Moses created? What, what did Moses create? When Yahuwah delivered the people of Yasharaf from the hand of Egypt, what did Moses create? 15. And Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to Yahuwah. I will sing to Yahuwah. Why? Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gush over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahuwah, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Yahuwah, smashes the enemy. The strong hand of Yahuwah in delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt was memorialized in a song. The song of Moses. Remember? So the song of Moses illustrates how Yahuwah used the plagues in bringing, in destroying Egypt and the Pharaoh. And if you are, you are, if you've been studying with us, the Bible History Project and, you know, so on and so forth, you know that a lot of the patterns of the past is repeating today, right? I mean, who kind of represents the Pharaoh today or the, the future Pharaoh to come? Who represents future Pharaoh to come? The Antichrist. Who represents the future Egypt? Remember Sodom and Egypt, future Jerusalem, the headquarters of the Antichrist? And so in Revelation 15, borrowing from what happened during the 10 plagues, Revelation 15 says, And I saw heaven, in heaven, another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And so according to Revelation 15, the 10 plagues in Egypt a long, long time ago with Moses will be repeated. But this time, it's going to be seven plagues, right? Who's going to be the target of the seven plagues? The Antichrist? The beast? The false prophet? They're going to be the target. They're going to be destroyed. And when this will happen, what will be sung? One to two? Just to show you all the connections of these patterns. And they were singing the song of Moses. 
the servant of God, and the Son of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works of Yahuwah God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come up and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. And so the strong arm of Yahuwah is going to be revealed again. This time to conquer and destroy a new type of Pharaoh, a new type of Egypt. You get it? What is that pointing to? The Antichrist and his world empire. And so in the same way, the song of Moses was sung to celebrate, to commemorate the destruction of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's going to be sung when Yahusha will destroy the future Pharaoh and the future Egypt, right? And so the plagues are going to be used. 15 verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple to the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And these seven plagues are called the bowls of wrath. We studied this already and we know it will culminate in the final battle wherein our king Yahusha will come from heaven and he will come on a white horse and he will be instrumental in releasing the fierce wrath of God. And when Yahusha comes to judge, what will he do to the beast and the kings of the world and the false prophet? What will happen to them? Let's keep reading in Revelation 19. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast captured. And with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This entire army was killed by the sharp sword and th that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the, on the dead bodies. And so when we look at unleavened bread. And when our father Yahuwah instructed to celebrate unleavened bread. So that the people will remember what Yahuwah did. When he used his strong arm to destroy Egypt and the Pharaoh. It also points forward to the day. And there's a future kind of Egypt and a future kind of Pharaoh, the Antichrist and his powers, right? It's pointing forward to the day when our King Yahushua will destroy them. When will Revelation 19 take place? When Yahushua comes to earth to judge, he will destroy. And so when we look at the Passover, the unleavened bread and the first fruits, yes. It's a memorial because Yahushua has performed all of them already. But at the same time, it's also a, what's the word I'm looking for? Rehearsal. It's also pointing forward to the millennial kingdom, Passover. The, the, the day when Yahushua judges, destroying the beast and the false prophet and first fruits, the return of Yahushua in the clouds. And so here's a beautiful thing. Now, when we go back, to the Moedim, right? When we look at the memorial, remember we said that because Yahushua has already 
He's already, he already died. He was already buried. He already appeared resurrected because he fulfilled all of that when we celebrate the Passover, the unleavened bread, first fruits. It's kind of like a memorial, right? However, he also points forward to, Passover also points forward to a certain event. Yahusha died, but Yahusha also said, I'm going to eat, drink this cup with you in the millennial kingdom. On unleavened bread, Yahusha was buried, but we also know that represents, it points forward to that, the day when our King Yahusha will come to earth and destroy the beast and his powers. The Feast of First Fruits, what does that also point forward to? It points to, to the return of our King, Yahusha, because at his return, we're going to be transformed to become like our King, Yahusha, in a glorious body. And so, not only is it a memorial, it's also a rehearsal. This is why Colossians 2, 16, 17 does not tell us, stop observing the Moedim. No, it's a memorial and what? A rehearsal on so many levels. On so many levels. This is why even when we look at Yahuwah's Moedim, what is revealed here? If you're looking carefully, do you see do you see what is evident in the Moedim of Yahuwah, the appointed times? Do you see something there? If you look closely, what you might spot is a chiastic structure. When you look at a chiastic structure, what does that mean? It has a middle, right? Where is that middle? Pretty evident. <laughs> the Feast of Weeks, right? And so there's a middle line. And we know the chiastic structure, when you have the mirror or the middle line, the events that extend from it correspond to one another. There's relationships between them. You see that? And so when we have this chiastic structure, now we can look at the rehearsal of the spring festivals and how it corresponds to the rehearsal of the autumn festivals. And so when we look, for example, at Feast of First Fruits and the Day of Trumpets, they're related because both point to the return of Yahushua, right? You see that? And when we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're related to Day of Atonement because when Yahushua comes to judge, he will destroy the beast. You see that? And when you look at the Passover, it's related to Feast of Tabernacles in the sense that it's a point forward to when Yahushua will establish the kingdom. And so what we have here, chiastic structure of Yahuwah's Moedim. And so Yahuwah's Moedim has the memorial and rehearsal in each of the celebrations itself. And even when you were living during the Old Testament time, it was a memorial and rehearsal. When you live during the New Testament time, it's still a memorial and rehearsal, which tells us the fractal, a fractal nature of the chiastic structure. The Bible is so awesome, so beautiful. When you look at the patterns and how it all connects together, it is a history book, but it has a purpose. And it's beautiful and majestic when you think about it. 
because Yahuwah is the one behind it all. This is why when we celebrate the spring festivals, brothers and sisters, we are celebrating and memorializing and rehearsing and proclaiming the work of Yahuwah's redemption and restoration. And so what does Yahuwah want from us if we truly believe and have faith in him? Let's read Deuteronomy, you're almost done. Each year, every man in Yashorah must celebrate these three festivals. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the spring festivals. The, fee, the Festival of Harvest and the Festival of Shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before Yahuwah, your God, at the place he chooses. But they must not appear before Yahuwah without a gift for him. All must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by Yahuwah your God. And so the Bible tells us there are three festivals. Now you might be saying, I thought there were seven. Yeah, there are seven, Moedim. But there are only three chugs. <laughs> because there are two Hebrew words which are translated in English festival. In this case, the festival of unleavened bread, that's the chug. You know what the difference is between the chug and the moedim? The chug is the time when you have an actual feast, the eating and the party. It's like a big party, <laughs> a get together. And so when it comes to the spring festivals, the chug is the unleavened bread festival when you eat the unleavened bread, right? And when it comes to the autumn, I mean, the, uh, during the uh, Pentecost, there's only one. There's only one. When it comes to the autumn, the chug, when people get together, is the Feast of Shelters, right? But these all represent the three main celebrations. Unleavened Bread, Festival of Harvest, Festival of Shelters, but all seven are Moedim. Three are considered chug. And so what does the Bible want? What does Yahuwah want from those who celebrate, who participate in the celebration, observance of the feast? Bible says that we must not appear before Yahuwah without a gift. And so when we present ourselves to Yahuwah on these appointed festivals, we need to present a gift. The gift of ourselves and a sacrifice from ourselves. All must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by Yahuwah, our God. Again, this is according to our faith. We are rehearsing our faith. And in our rehearsal of faith, when we believe Yahuwah because of his work of redemption and his work of restoration, we express our faith to him by saying, yes, I will come to you and I will bring my gift before you to honor you. Brethren, we need to celebrate our faith when we observe these feasts. And do you know what the byproduct is when the Moedim is going to be completed? Do you know what it is? We're almost done. I just want to read this part, the book of Luke 24. And Luke 24 takes place after Yahushua died. He was buried and then he resurrected completing the first three feasts. This is what our King Yahushua said. Luke 24 is a beautiful story. 24, when he, uh, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet because his disciples, they were kind of surprised. They, they did not really believe, but then they saw him. 
And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So apparently, our King Yahusha, after he resurrected, he could still eat, right? He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. That is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is why the Old Testament points to who again? Yahushua. Yahushua is telling us everything about the Moedim must be fulfilled according to the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You know, in this message of our King Yahushua, he's telling us he has completed already. He has completed already the three feasts. And the fourth, the fifth feast, uh, the fourth feast is about to come. Do you see the fourth feast? What is that? I'm going to send you what my father has promised. When is that? Feast of weeks, Pentecost. But he's telling his disciples, when he appeared to them resurrected, and he was eating with them. He says, this is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. All of that was fulfilled. Why? Because everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. The Moedim will be fulfilled. And the good thing about the Moedim, if you noticed verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. Have you ever experienced something so beautiful, so grand? You say to yourself, huh, it's too good to be true. They were in the midst of Yahusha resurrected. And when he was eating with them, they could not help but be filled with so much joy and amazement. They could not think straight. Has it ever, ever happened to you? You're so overwhelmed with joy, you cannot think rationally. This is why Yahusha had to open their minds so that what they were feeling could now match what they were supposed to understand in the scriptures, which tells us the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits that was fulfilled by our King Yahusha, and the other Moedim that will be fulfilled in the future. And also the Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits that point to the future, the rehearsal. It leads to, and the byproduct of that is what we call joy. One day when our King Yahusha will return. We're going to feel that joy. And this is what he promised us in the last passage of our studies today. In the book of John, before we pray, 2022, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. 
but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to what child has pain because her time has come. When her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of joy. The child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Brethren, when we observe and celebrate the Moedim, the Feast of Yahuwah, when we rehearse our faith, when we memorialize our faith, when we do so, let us never ever forget where it will lead us. It will lead us to Yahusha and his return. And when he returns, he says, I will see you again and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. Right now, we may experience grief. Right now, we may mourn. Right now, we may be sad. But that's okay. We're going through the process of removing sin in our life. But the time will come when Yahushua returns. And when that time comes, we will rejoice. And this time, no one will ever take away our joy. Let's have that in our mind. Let's anticipate and look forward by faith. The day when our King Yahushua will return, we can be with him forevermore. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, merciful Yahuwah, thank you so much for your patience and forbearance, your long-suffering and deep love for each one of us. Every detail of your plan revealed in scripture, the intricate events, the shadows, the typology, every single precept and command that you have given, we have come to realize as a purpose and meaning. You are unfolding your plan and purpose for redemption and also for our restoration. We thank you, Father, because our sins have been redeemed. The penalty of sin has been paid for. We will face you and we will receive no condemnation. But we also know in this life, we still have to endure the effects of sin because we are still in our mortal bodies. And so we look forward to that day when we will be given new bodies that we may rejoice forevermore as we continue to be with you and your son. Our King Yahushua, you died for us, but we know that you are sending your spirit into our life, that we can overcome the influence of sin so that the, what you have done on the cross will not be in vain in our life. Because when we stand before you, we will be victorious, not because we're good, but because you are strong and through your spirit, we will be able to overcome all things. Amen. We remember what you said in this life, in this world, there will be times when we will be filled with sorrow and pain. Yes. When we will mourn, 
but we also know we will see you again. And we long for that day while we wait. We will partake of your supper to remember your suffering and death, to proclaim your name, the gospel message, so long as we have the opportunity. Please be with us as we prepare ourselves that when we partake of our share, we shall receive your great blessing. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers, for blessing our Bible studies and our worship services. We ask everything in the name of our Lord Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.